0: Thank mm-hmm. you. just to follow
1: To the second Sunday in Lent, and uh, I hope that you're working your way through the ARC project and enjoying uh, the tasks day by day. In the first week through, the one opportunity um, was to pay for someone's coffee at Starbucks. So um, our granddaughter was at home, and when her mom got home, she said, Mom, we have to go to Starbucks. And her mom said, Well, uh, I I have to go out tomorrow maybe she said no we have to go to starbucks because we have to buy somebody's coffee mm-hmm. so we're trying to say you don't have to do exactly what it says and exactly when it says but um, to see that kind of faithfulness is kind of encouraging so god bless you thank you for being with us today and uh, we're going to sing together and learn together and uh, enjoy one another's company here and uh, imagining your company as well those of you home.
2: Welcome to the children's portion of the service a couple of weeks ago we finished our study of the Shema and that um, led us into uh, the end of how Jesus quoted that in the New Testament he said love your neighbor as yourself love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself and we often jump to thinking of ways to love our neighbor, which is good, that's fine. But I wonder if this morning we could think about what did Jesus mean and what did God mean when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. So if we just take this out for a minute and we just look at love yourself, I wonder what that could mean. And it's not something we really like to talk about sometimes. Oh, I'm going to love myself. What does that mean? Um, Sometimes I think people would say, well, you need to brag about yourself. You need to tell people what you're good at so that um, they know. And, uh, you know, it's not enough to say, I like soccer. I'm pretty good at soccer, but... Maybe bragging goes beyond that, and you say, I'm the best at soccer, or I'm better than you at soccer. So that would be bragging, and I don't think that's what God really would ask us to do. It look, in uh, Philippians 2, uh, verse 3, it says, don't be selfish, and don't try to impress others. So that doesn't seem to go with the bragging part, does it? And then people might think, well, you push to be first. Get yourself out there and be first and maybe push other people out of the way in order to be first. Um, Well, that doesn't really sound like God either. I'm thinking um, there's a verse in Mark 9 and verse 35, and it says, whoever wants to be first. So, oh, well, let's see. What does God say about that? Who wants to be first? must be very last and be the servant of all." So that that doesn't sound like just pushing your way to the front of something, does it? It says, in God's world, if you want to be first, you must be very last and be a servant to everyone else. And finally, uh, does it mean grab the best of something the best cookie or the best gift or whatever it is do you think that's what loving yourself would mean grab the best of something well the end of Philippians 2 and verse 3 says be humble thinking of others before yourselves put other people ahead of yourself so I don't think that would go along with grabbing the best thing for yourself, would it? If you're thinking of others before yourself. But how can we love ourselves? Because that still sounds kind of funny to us. So let's have a look at it. Um, I was thinking that if somebody drew you a beautiful picture and they spent a lot of time on it and it was really important to them and they brought it to you and you kind of looked at it and you just put it on the table and then you had a can of pop or juice and you just stuck your can of pop on top of the picture and it kind of spoiled it. And that person would be, well, what are you doing? Like, I, I spent time on that, I made that, It's that's important to me and and I was thinking, well, god made us he is our creator and he he says in uh, psalm 139 you are fearfully and wonderfully made and all right he says i am fearfully and wonderfully made oh, wonderful are your works O lord so if god is our creator and wonderful are his works then that can be true of me, which just means I need to think of myself in that way as something that God created, someone that God created, then it's also true for others, right? So it's not just true about me, but it's true about every single person that God was, is their creator as well. Um, And when you really care about someone and love someone, Um, as God does us, Um, and he knew that we needed a way to be in a relationship with him, because we just can't get there on our own, we just can't be good enough no matter how hard we try, so God said, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son to be your savior, and we've talked about this a lot, and it's probably summed up best in John 3:16, and maybe you know it, you can say it along with me, but, for God so loved the world, and that's all people, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, and get to be with God forever. So, if that's true for me, that God loved me so much, that he sent his son to die so that I can have a relationship with God, I can believe in God, then that's also true for others. So we can think about ourselves as being worth something that God gave that kind of a gift in order to, to know us and for us to know him. So that means we can feel pretty pretty worthwhile in that. And another thing that, and the final thing, although there are probably a lot more to think about, um, is that God gave each one of us a gift. Uh, He is a gift giver. And uh, it says in 1 Peter, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to do what? To serve others. So maybe there's something that you're really good at, and you already know that you're really good at it. Maybe you're still trying to figure that out. Some days I think I'm still trying to figure that out. But we can know that God, our Creator, who sent His Son to be our Savior, has also given us gifts, and we are to use them to share with others. And so if God gave us gifts, then He also gave gifts to others right and maybe you have a friend who might need to be reminded of that maybe you're maybe your friend is thinking i i don't know that i'm worth anything and you can say well this is how i know i'm worth something i'm worth something because god made me and he sent his son to die for me and he's given me gifts so that i can have purpose down here and so if that's true of me then that's true of you. And maybe you can find out even, or help your friend find out, what gift he or she has. And maybe you can say, well, I I see gifts in you. I see that you're really good at maybe keeping things organized. That's a gift. And your friend will say, oh, I never thought of that as a gift. Well, thank you. So that might be a way that, um, as we learn to love ourselves in the right way, that God would want us to, that we can also then love others in that same way. So take this forward this week, see what you can discover perhaps about yourself and uh, perhaps about one of your friends. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Mary. One of the things that's happening during COVID is that some of us are getting more comfortable with seeing ourselves on the screen. So it's Mary's turn today to sit here with us and see herself talking to us on the screen as well. This stuff, though. It's time for us to join together in praying the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, as we have said many times, is the model prayer. It's it's the it's the prayer that Jesus gave us that makes a framework for all of our praying. It, it, it really is the articulation of our worldview as followers of Jesus. And the things that we pray for are the things that are large in our minds. And then the details of our lives and of our prayers kind of fall in place in the various categories that the Lord's prayer covers. So let me invite you, those of you who are here and those at home, just to join with me as we pray the Lord's prayer. So we pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to you forever. Amen. Let's continue to pray. Father, as those words are in our minds and in our hearts, uh, we come to you in prayer. We come to you as your children. We come to you humbly. We come acknowledging that you are the sovereign Lord of the universe. And we come at the same time calling you our Father, our Abba. And as we come to you, we we come as children, uh, bringing our needs before you and bringing our concerns before you. And so we just remember those things that are on our hearts and we try to find their place in the context of the Lord's Prayer and know how it is that we should pray. Father, we pray today for um, your your kingdom to come in our world. And as we watch the news or uh, hear from our friends, we realize that your kingdom is, is not being welcomed in our world in, in so many ways. and And so we pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that your kingdom would come uh, in Myanmar. We pray that your kingdom would come in Ethiopia and to the Tigris of Ethiopia. And while we think of them, we think of our own friends here at Southside who uh, have come from there or have come from among those people and who worry uh, over a massacre and uh, worry over where people are. And Father, we pray that you would meet the needs of of the Tigray people even in terms of the daily bread. We pray, Father, that um, there will be agencies that are able to reach them, that are able to supply them with the food that they need. We pray as well, Father, for the Congo, and again with um, those in, in Southside who are from that country that's home for them. We pray that you will give them a peace of mind somehow to, to know that you are as present with their family members and friends there as you are to us here. We pray Father for um, the Uyghur people in in China and um, the injustices that there seem to be and the fact that there again there are so many here in Ontario and in Canada who have lost touch entirely with their family for years now. And we pray for, for um, the two fellows from from canada who are who are held uh, and, and we pray for their release we pray that you will give wisdom even in the politics of negotiating and, and of, of trying to extend mercy and, and kindness and forgiveness um, father we pray for um, those in our church family who are ill we, we just pray that you will sustain them and all the more in these days as they are uh, physically apart from those that love and care for them. We pray for those that are in long-term care homes. We pray that uh, they will be able to even grasp or understand um, the situation upon us where they deal with forgetfulness or even even more than forgetfulness with, with a dementia that has, has left them unable uh, to process um, the fact that their loved ones, their family members are are absent from them and not coming to see them anymore. We pray, Father, that you will bless every effort to care for the aged in our society as as we follow the example of, of you, our God, in having a heart for those that are widows and those that are orphans. Father, we pray for, for Wade, Job, our friend here, and pray that you will as he recovers from surgery. We pray, Father, for those who are anticipating surgery in in the week ahead of us, or uh, shortening. We pray that you will give them peace of mind. Above all, we pray, Father, that your presence uh, will be real to them, uh, that their faith will uh, find ways to express itself in, in maybe new ways or ways that it hadn't. Uh, shown up before we pray that, that there will be a, a sense of of calm and peace and and presence we pray father for our brother bill as he continues to miss avis whom you have taken home we pray that you will sustain him as he makes his new home in Berry. pray father that he will know that there is a family here that loved uh, the pair of them dearly and and that uh, we love bill as well we pray that that he even somehow might sense our concern and, and our, our prayers for him. We pray, Father, today for our annual general meeting and pray for um, just the ability to manage that in, in a different kind of a venue as we Zoom together rather than always being here together. We pray you will just um, help us as we think about who we are and what has happened this year and what might happen in the year that's ahead of us. Father, in all things, we thank you so much that that we are able to rest in our confidence in you. We thank you that we are able to know uh, that your character never changes. We thank you, Father, that you have known about this pandemic. You have known every aspect uh, of its course We thank you, Father, that you have known every day of our lives. And so you know what each day will bring, even though we worry about what the next day will bring. We pray, Father, that you would help us to please you. And we pray that we will discover more and more that, um, as Mary has just shared with us, loving others um, will be a way of reflecting your love. And we pray that you will just give us creative ways to be friends to those who are friendless, um, to those who are lonely. And we ask, Father, for our presence here on Main Street. We pray for our town. Thank you for Milton. We thank you for our mayor and for all those who are guiding this town. We pray for all the businesses up and down this street. We pray for success. We pray, Father, that you will help them to survive and to recover and to thrive. And we pray that um, there will come about even a deeper sense of, of uh, our being citizens together, or our being friends together in this in this town in which you've placed us. Help us know, Father, how we can love that you have given to us to those who are around us. Give us wisdom and creative thoughts as to how we can engage this town. We pray for the other churches up and down the street, and pray that even their... Uh, their presence may be a visible reminder to those who travel up and down the street, driving or walking, um, that it's important to have God in the center of the life of a community as it is in the life of a family and in our own lives individually. Father, we thank you that we can can just pause here and um, realize that you are our God and we are your people. And that we can come to you with the needs and concerns and worries and triumphs and victories and successes of our lives. And know that you are keenly interested in each one of us and each one of these events. So we bless you in Jesus' name. this love in motion, because as I said last week, uh, love uh, resists being static. love resists being in one place, it always wants to travel, and so in all of the directions in which love travels, we'll just think about uh, what we learn and how the scriptures inform how we should behave. Uh, So we've, we've thought about our love for God and God's love for us, and that was really the whole first part of the Shema that we've been thinking about together. And then we're moving into the second part where uh, Jesus said, well, the law is is well summarized in in these two statements, loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself. So the big question for today is this, is it okay to love yourself? And we can probably think of two extremes that would kind of help us get our bearings, maybe find a fix. Uh, There is the extreme of narcissism, um, narcissism is um, all about uh, loving self in the dysfunctional kind of a sense, so uh, it all began with Greek mythology and a person called Narcissus who fell in love with his reflection in a pool. And I don't know about you, but I've rarely been inclined to fall in love with myself by looking at a reflection. Um, but Narcissus was quite taken with himself and, and so narcissism. Got its name from that character. I remember um, probably 10 or 15 years ago, I was counseling a couple towards marrying them, and they were both PhD in <laughs> clinical psychology in the University of the States. And I, was, I was way out of my depth. Um, yeah, I mean, imagine trying to counsel two PhD clinical psychologist people. Um, their application was mostly sports, so they were, you know, I was at least a little safe that wasn't going to veer into that. But at the beginning, the, the, the um, fiancé, who was quite a character, he said, well, I'll, I probably need to tell you right away that I'm a narcissist, but the best kind. <laughs> and I thought, what are the best kind of narcissists? Well, I follow them on Facebook, and they've now uh, had children, and they're happily married, living together, and everything is, is going well. But that was a, a fun conversation, and then session by session, I would say, I should not be trying to tell you guys things about this. I I would give them tests, and they would say, yeah, well, the research shows. i go, of course the research shows, and you know the research better than I do. But are are we allowed to love ourselves? Is it okay to love yourself? The other extreme, um, sadly, is self-harm. And we, we see that uh, even in Ontario and, and Canada, there's an epidemic of self-harm. Uh, again, some years ago, I had a phone call from a young lady that we had known for years in Toronto. And she said, if um, if I were to show up on God's doorstep today, would you let me <laughs> in, do you think? And I thought, mm, that, that's a really bad sign. So I said, where are you? And she said, well, I, I'm at home, but I um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of doing something. So I said, well, let, let me come. And then we went to the hospital where she checked herself. In. And now she as well has, has come to a place of wholeness in her life. But there were those many junctures in her life where harming herself seemed to be the only option, seemed to be the only thing in front of her. And here was this kind of moment of alarm when she said, if, if I go, I need to know God's gonna open the door for me. So having assured her that God's door would be open to her, I said, but it's, it's not time for you to go knocking on that door yet. And uh, again, happily, she has come along well. But there's so many people um, who are harming themselves and thinking poorly of themselves. And so we, we come to the very practical question that's before us, what does it mean to love yourself? I mean it is um, loving your neighbor as you love yourself an injunction that you should love yourself or is it just sort of saying well you you know you do love yourself so in as much as you love yourself you, sh- you should love your neighbor it may it may have been that in um, the teaching of the New Testament but I think in a fuller way uh, the Bible gives us incredible help like like deep help about loving self in, in the right kind of way so not in a narcissistic kind of way not in some other way that has expectations and abilities or inabilities um, and, and so along with all of the good things that are done in psychology and in counseling and, and wonderful things are happening and, and I will be the first to suggest that you ought to go and talk to someone about harming yourself it, it, it's a It's a terrible predicament in that you you find yourself doing something, um, even causing pain to try in some way to ease pain or to mitigate against pain. So where do we go with that? Uh, How can you tell someone that they should love themselves, Or how how can you say you should accept yourself? Or how can you say, well, you need to have better self-esteem because in all likelihood, the answer will be, I know but I don't, I, I don't have it. So I want to take you someplace today that is, is not um, trying to get into the territory of, of psychology and counseling, but is trying to get into the, uh, the territory of theology that I think um, deeply offers uh, something that will speak to the spirit and, and to the soul of a person, to the, the inner part of the person. And maybe can help us try to sort through, well, what does it mean to love yourself? So I want to ask you to just come with me, first of all, to get into this, to think of names of people. And if I were to say some of these names, I'm going to ask you to tell me why they're called what they're called. So suppose you come across someone whose name is O'Reilly. What does that tell you about? Um, My mom's maiden name, so, you know, there's my secret password for every (laughs) site I get into, is McCready. What does it mean that she was Evelyn McCready? Or maybe you'll come across someone who's called Ben David. Um, I looked on the Internet. There are several Ben Davids, and uh, what does that mean? So each of those um, has a prefix, like the O'Reilly or the McCready or the Ben David, and they all mean child of. It, they began to be thought to mean son of, but more properly it's it's child of. And in each case, um, the person is being identified um, by the family from which she or he has come, by the father um, that he or she names herself after. So O'Reilly comes from Riley. And MacReady comes from Creedy, and, and David comes from David. And there are lots of other interesting ways that people are called what they are. I mean, many people are called by something that identifies the, the occupation that their father, grandfather, great-grandfather involved himself in. Um, but these are the interesting ones, and, and I think in other cultures, I, I don't know them all so well, but there are many cultures where the name of a person is somewhere or other placed as the name of the father or, or the the grandfather and so they sort of travel generation by generation. And in, in each case, the identification of the person that is the father of, or um, in the other way that I am the child of such and such a person. Um, why do I bring that up? I bring it up because honestly, the most significant thing that I offer to someone saying how do I accept myself, love myself? How, how do I do that properly? I, I think that the biblical answer is not so much who you are, but whose you are. And that, that sounds a little corny, but it's absolutely true. It, it's not so important in in a helpful way to know what I am or who I am, but it's incredibly important to know whose I am. The question is, who is my father? And coming to terms with who my father is, enormously important, it's enormously important in many, many areas of our lives, but it's absolutely important in terms of loving myself. I believe that loving myself will best come from knowing who my father is. And then I'm going to try to travel with that for a little while this morning and explain to you. So let's go to the verse that um, Bethany had for us on the screen after that, that great song, You Say. It's from 1 John 3, verse 1. And it, it is one of those verses, you know, they're probably favorite verses for, for most of us, but, you know, whether it's a verse that you call your life verse or one of your just one of your favorite texts this is one of them for, for many many people and it's John so we're, we're kind of camping on John for this Lent season and in 1 John 3 verse 1 John says this how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. That is a passage worthy of meditation. It's it's one of those passages that that each time you read it, should kind of come like a fresh wash of water over your spirit and over your soul. The way John phrases this is is really, really beautiful. It begins with the word look, and not just look, but think of all of those times when something impresses you and you wanna call on people to notice it as well, right? Where where you wanna say, wow, look at that. Look, Look at this, pay attention to this. Or in biblical terms, meditate on this. I mean, dwell on this. And, and then he carries on and say, says, how great is the Father's love for us. So, you know, how how great is the thing that John wants us to, to notice and, and say, hmm, yeah, I see that, I think about that, I, I dwell on that, I, I, I'm, I'm fixated on that. I think there, there are lots of experiences in life where our attention is drawn to something that is worth Meditating on, like, worth really considering, worth really looking at. Maybe you get a particular journal, and of all the journals, you say this one is really important. It, it just, it really sits well with me. Maybe it's a blog that you follow, or um, you know, some other way that y- you have information passing by you, and uh, every now and then something arrests you, and you say, "Wait, look, look, look at that." Um, Two things come to my mind to illustrate that. One is that my daughter and her husband and children live in Edmonton. And one of the best things about living in Edmonton, some might say the only good thing about living in Edmonton, is not the oilers or that sort of stuff. It's, it's the proximity to the Rocky Mountains, to Jasper. And Anna with my lived um, until we had children. Well, Alicia came shortly. Uh, in Spruce Grove, just outside of Edmonton, and I had a farmer friend. We'd go skiing in Jasper. And I call him a farmer friend, um, and I, w- I would still tease him today because being a farmer's friend means that at 5 o'clock in the morning, we would start driving from Spruce Grove to get to Marmot in Jasper for the opening of the, the ski day. Uh, that is to say, I would drive while Mert slept. And, and he would say, if you were not up at 3 o'clock milking cows, don't be telling me to stay awake. No. OK, fine. But uh Ev and Alicia with uh, their two kids, Isaiah and Evie, made a trip lately to, to Jasper. And Alicia sent back pictures. And you can imagine what the pictures were, were like. They were pictures of their approaching Jasper, approaching the, the Rocky Mountains. And seeing the vista that loomed in in front of them through the cracked windshield of their Alberta car, um, it's it's like you you know you drive somewhere and every now and then it, you turn a corner and it says panoramic view, and there are five cars pulled over and they're with binoculars or whatever it is. The pictures that Alicia sent back are pictures like that, like they are pictures that are worthy of look. The pictures worthy of oh my goodness. Look at that. Another illustration is that um, I told Annabeth I would like to do this. And she said I could do it if I wanted, but she wouldn't, which is I'd like to be an archaeologist for a while in Israel. That doesn't excite her in the least. But as I follow archaeology and and what they do, every now and then, archaeologists, particularly in Israel, uh, find a piece of pottery or a piece of writing. And it is usually the smallest little fragment. And yet, even though it, they have used maybe big diggers and then shovels to, to unearth mm-hmm. the thing, it, it finally gets down to them holding this little piece mm-hmm. of pottery or um, or writing. And they will have a small brush. And they will carefully, carefully sweep off that fragment. So sometimes it's huge things. Sometimes it's very, very small things. But there are things that cause us to say, wait a minute. Stop. I have to understand this. I have to know this. I, <clears throat> I have to not forget this, whatever I do. So that's what John is saying. He, he, he starts the verse with this word. Look, and, and he didn't even need the for the syntax, it wasn't necessary that that word be there. But what John wants to say is, don't ever forget this. Like, look at this. Have a good stare at this. Have a good think on this, because this is good. This is an important thing. And then he follows it up by saying, how great is the Father's love. And again, the word that he uses for how great is a fascinating term. Um, The only other place that it's used in the New Testament is when Jesus calms the storm. And you know, you, you remember situation, disciples are in the boat, terrible storm comes up and Jesus is asleep. And the disciples are shocked and, and they say, how, how can you sleep? We're all gonna die out here. And Jesus stood up and simply said, shush to the wind and the waves and they stopped. And the disciples said, what kind of person is this? What kind of place did the this person come from? Th- that's the word. Look, this is worth stopping about. What kind of love is this? Where did this love come from? Th- this is this is not like ordinary human love. This is Like not like an ordinary person saying let's ride out the storm. This is like a person saying stop and the storm stops. This is to say this thing that I want to talk to you about, says John, is worth stopping and gazing and staring and contemplating and meditating. How great is God's love? The love of God is such that whether we might think of it in a small way or a grand way in particular times, but it's always worth stopping to look. The sign is on the side of the road, a panoramic view. This is something worth stopping for. This is something worth gazing at. And how great is God's love? Where is this kind of love from? What, what kind of person is this? And as, I think as we take that in, we take in a, a theology that travels deep into our hearts and deep into our lives, mm-hmm. that would help us understand um, what it is to love self. Because what John wants to meditate on is the love that the Father has lavished on us. And, and then he's gonna go and, and flesh it out. But, but stop, pay attention, this is incredible the love that the Father has for us. And And John John simply says he has lavished lavished it on us. What does the word lavish mean? Well, it's what it seems to mean, right? It's it's something beyond what is expected. It is something beyond um, what might have been required. It It is something that God has just poured out. And that's the language of God's love all the way through the scriptures. It's it's bigger than you ever thought. It's deeper than you could ever imagine. It reaches farther. It penets better. It it encompasses. It, It is the kind of thing that you ought to always stop and look at. And then here's the crux of it all. He says that we should be called children of God. That's the thing. I think that's the thing that the Bible offers to us um, that along with every other way of understanding says if if this can travel deep into your soul you to love yourself because do you know that you are a child of God? Oh yes, yes, I know I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God because God has done this and Jesus has done this but it, it it's so far beyond that because it, it is the lavishing of that love that is demonstrated by saying, you are my child. And if I understand that I am God's child, when I look in the mirror, I will see God's child. When I, mirror, I, child. When I live everyday life experiences, I will I will live them as God's child. And it doesn't matter so much who I am, when I understand whose I am, How much did God God love me? Well, the scriptures are full of the deep and abiding love that God always had for his people. But one by one, um, we would do well to stop and meditate on the fact that we are God's children. It, It matters incredibly whose I am, that my Father is God. And if I am worth the greatest gift that God has ever given, his own life, the life of his son. I was worth that to him so that I could be called his child. And in the New Testament, we're we're told that we are adopted as God's children, and adoption is a wonderful thing that people do, but when we use the word adoption, we don't understand it exactly the way it is intended in the New Testament. To adopt in the New Testament is to place as sons, place as children, not Take on a person to be your child who wasn't really your child. It, it, it's a profound word that says when you were adopted into God's family, you became God's child. You were God's child thoroughly, right down to the core of your being. And, and so John says, as he meditates on, he says, and that, that's exactly what we are. Think of the love of God that he has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Not not just we're called children of God, but that's what we actually are. We actually are the children of God. And so then I should take a, a tour away to zoom out and say who is God? God is the eternal creator of the universe. He's the one who knows all of us, who knows everything that he has created, and, and he's the one that has called me his child. I'm the one who is able to recognize that that he, my father, loves me as his child. There are other words for child in, in the New Testament, that there's the word son. And we, we find that sometimes, that we are called the sons of God, or we've been given sonship. And the sense of that is that the son, um, especially the firstborn son, has has all of the privileges of being firstborn into the family. But that's not what John uses here. John uses the word for child, for bairn, for kid. He, He says, the thing that is most profoundly true of you is that you are God's little child. And so whatever it might have meant, had John said, you know, God has done all of this and he makes you his son then I might go off on one track. But if I go on this track, he has made me his little child. And whatever the best sense of being a little child is, God says, that's who you are to me. That's who I am to you. I am your Abba. I am your father. You're my child. That is what you are. There's another verse, if I were to try to pack a couple together that um that talk about how important it is to grasp this, that we are God's little children, that his love for us is so immense, that that's who we are. It's back in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a powerful, long psalm where the psalmist says all the things that God Hmm. knew about us and what he did. And, you know, to the fact that he, he knew us in our mother's womb before we were even formed. He knew every day that was appointed to us. But I hadn't noticed this little uh, pair of comments that, that the psalmist says. He says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. What does God think about you? Well, what the psalm says, is that the thoughts that God has about us are precious. So whatever I tell myself, whatever others have told me, um, those things don't really matter when I understand that God's thoughts about me are precious. So God's thoughts about each one of us, and it's, it's in the context of all of this that he knew us before we were formed, He knew every day that was appointed to us. Um, The Psalm says that that the thoughts that God has for us, precious thoughts, outnumber the grains of sand. How many grains of sand are there in the world? And is this just a hyperbole? I don't know, but it says if you could count all the grains of sand in the world, you would not be able to count enough um, the number of thoughts that God has for you. That that literally, when you woke this morning, God's thoughts were about you. He, he he was doting over you. He was loving over you. He was hoping over you. He was sending angels around you, and and and, and you never escape His notice. You don't get to say, well, he doesn't know me. Well, he sure does, because if, if you could, again, pulling out the Zoom way out, you would know that God is infinite and eternal, and the capacity that God has is enormous. His capacity in creation has proven to be enormous. As much as we might have expected, he has done more. And so, this thing, God declares to us that, that his thoughts about us, precious thoughts, are beyond numbering. His thoughts are of us all the time. And and one of the things that we struggle about is that God doesn't seem to notice us, that he doesn't seem to answer us, he doesn't seem to care about us. And the meditation on this verse and with First John chapter 3 ought to supplant those doubts and assure me that I've not escaped God's notice. That in no way has he been taken by surprise by what has happened to me. Um, That the harder uh, the situations are, maybe the more intense God's love is focused on me. And he says, even if you're alone in that hospital bed, even if you're alone in your home, even if everyone else seems to have forgotten about you. I've not. In fact, my thoughts of you have intensified. Um, my thoughts of you are precious thoughts. doesn't matter so much who you are when you figure out whose you are. And that God has bought you for himself to be his dear child at enormous cost. He has intended it even before the creation of the world. He has known you from before the foundation of the world. We're told in Ephesians um, that it all began in God's mind and um, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. It's like God looked down and he, he, he saw Bob and he knew that Bob was his and that Wayne was his and Cheryl was his. And one by one, um, God's attention then became undivided attention towards each one of you at the same time being true for every other person whom he has created and watched in their formation in their mother's womb. So how do we deal with loving ourselves? Trying to do it is a dysfunction as we try. Accepting by faith who we are and whose we are can begin to operate in us in a way that brings Wholeness into ourselves. And we live in a broken world, and the greatest delight of Satan, the dark lord of this world, is dis- is to dismantle this truth and say so that's that that's, that's maybe it's true of somebody else, but it's not true of you. You're not worth anything, or you're worth hurting, or you're worth leaving. Whatever it is that travels into our lives. As soon as those thoughts come, we can imagine that God is saying, stop that thought, that's not true. That is not true. And and it's not just a matter of an academic sort of adherence to that, but it's saying, as John does, well, no, stop there. Don't leave that thought. Don't, Don't stop meditating on how much God loves you and how lavishly he has loved you. Because more than anything else, the thing that matters to, you, to the world and to you and to me is whose you are, not who you are. I, I've told this story, I think, one time at Southside. And I have, I've, I've been careful for many years in my life because um, if I reuse an illustration, I try not to, but I think maybe people won't remember. Well, about 20 years ago, this young lady called Amy, and I was it was a church in Toronto, and I told a story. And afterwards, she said, "You told that story," and she named the date. Uh-huh. And I said, "How did you remember that and I, She had a journal; she wrote everything down that I said. And so, so I thought, okay, I better be careful. So I'll fess up yeah. if I say something the second time, um, because at my age, you may think that I'm forgetful, and I want you to know I'm not that. <laughs> but secondly, that it it, it it just this is a story that that one time you heard, and maybe you'll remember. But it's a story about my dad, and a place called Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island, which is a lovely little spot. Vancouver Island is, is beautiful, and Qualicum Beach is is really beautiful in, in the southern middle part of that. One day, my mom and dad were on holidays in Qualicum Beach, and they were walking down the street. They walked past a hardware store, and the the shopkeeper stepped out onto the street and he said, excuse me, and it's a friendly place. So my mom and dad stopped and the shopkeeper said, I, we've never met, have we? And my dad said, no. And the shopkeeper said, well, I'll tell you where you're from. And my dad thought, okay, this is gonna be an interesting conversation. And uh, he suspected that they had heard them talking and my dad said, "Yeah, where, where are we from?" And he said, "You're from you're from Anlong." My dad stopped. Anlong is one little fishing village in the middle of the Morn Mountains, and the only thing that came to mind was my dad figured the guy heard them talking, because in Anlong they talk differently from the rest of the world. <laughs> they have a diphthong um, variant. Uh, they didn't think the the letter Y was used often enough in the English language, so they put a Y in front of every vowel. So if it's a cat, it becomes a cat, or a car becomes a car. And that's how you tell, hands down, that a person's analog. So my dad said, yeah, you're right. Good for you. And uh, they they began to walk away, and my dad said, wait, 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 or or the the shopkeeper said, wait, wait a minute. Um, I will, uh, I'll tell you who, who your father is. And, you know, they, they they just were not sure whether to stop and listen or, or keep going. And, and the shopkeeper said, your father is Sam Campbell. And now, now my dad was totally baffled this guy, he had precious things even by saying you're from Northern Ireland and then said you're from Anne Long. So he zeroed in on all this. And now he he said he knew my dad's father's name. My dad's, (laughs) no idea. And the guy said, yeah, you're Sam Campbell's son. I saw you coming down the street. And I said to myself, that's Sam Campbell's son. He walks like him. He walks like him. And he did. My grandfather had a certain way that he would amble along with his arms behind his back. My dad walks the same way. And I remember as a kid trying to walk the same way as well, trying to catch up and, and walk that way. And after all of that, my mom said to, to my dad, you know, that not that really true of us as Christians, that people ought to know? Who our father is by the way we walk. So my dad turned that into a good sermon illustration and he passed it along to me. But do you know that was the highest compliment that guy could have paid to my father to, to say I know who you are because I know. There's the truth of, of self-esteem. Because if we're left to our own definition and our own success, There's enough to convince us that we're not worthwhile. There's enough to convince us that we're failures. But when we, by faith, grasp that we were worth God sending his sons, and then he wanted to give us his name, you have my name. You are my child. When I think about that, stops me in my tracks. And I say, look at this. What kind of love is this that God has lavished on us to call us his children? And that's exactly what we are. For the person listening who says, yeah, that's about somebody else. It's not. It's all about you. No matter what. It's all about you. John says, This is worth meditating on, this is worth contemplating, this is worth remembering, this is worth writing down, this is worth memorizing, this is worth repeating, this is worth declaring, Um, because it is one of the most delightful messages.